0: To the OKS Fisher Podcast, part of the OKS Podcast Network. Featuring your hosts, Matt Strime, Greg Tubbs.
1: Hey there, welcome back to the OKS Fisher Podcast. How are we doing, Matt? Good, how are you, Greg? A lot better now that I can hear you. Yeah, third time's a charm. Third time's a charm. Been out doing any fishing? I thought I saw you out doing some fishing this weekend.
2: I did some casual trolling around my in-laws' lake with a beer in my hand. That's nice, relaxing. That
1: sounds pretty nice, actually. Trolling Mm -hmm. around with a beer in hand. Did you catch anything? Nope, I didn't. Just a buzz. Yep, (laughs) the best thing to catch. That's right. Well, I uh, I got a bunch of yard work done over the weekend. It was too nice to not be on water, though. I mean, let's be honest: mid to high seventies. I think we hit eighty yesterday. Uh, Beautiful weather, Uh, fish. Definitely in the shallows, I did sneak down to the dock. Uh, Worked on my boat a little bit over the weekend, got those brand new X2 batteries set in place, everything wired up, got the motor started and everything, but my fishing partner got sick yesterday morning, so there's no fishing from the boat. It was down to the dock and made some casts and caught three bass and a pike, so that was pretty decent.
2: Not bad, not bad. So
1: speaking of bass, we have a guy we know a guy. Our guest, Scott Siller. How are you today?
0: I'm good, Greg. Good to, good to chat with you and Matt again.
1: Yeah, man. So what can you tell us about yourself? little, little backstory.
0: Well, I started out, uh, bass fishing up there in Wisconsin. I live in Florida full time now. I'm a fishing guide and I got a little tour boat down here that I run, but, uh, uh, but, yeah, I came from Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Bass Federation, back before it split and kind of cut my teeth. I learned from a lot of the local guys up there and still stay in touch with a lot of them and follow them on Facebook and Instagram and uh, kind of consider that my home. And But, yeah, I left there. I started fishing the Opens, the Bassmaster Opens, in 2013, and went from there and started doing uh, a new circuit in 2020 uh 2021 the national professional fishing league and i did that for the last two seasons and now i'm uh taking the year off and enjoying florida and like i said i guide i'm on the water every day um fishing or, or running a tiki boat that i got it's called cooter tiki cruises out of uh, lake wales florida
1: wow very nice that sounds uh, pretty awesome
0: so, so, life man i mean and you know it's kind of fun to have I, I get a lot of friends from Wisconsin to come down. Uh, most of them want to go fishing, which is fine. But, uh, but 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 the tiki boat has its advantages. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, what do you what do you guide down there then?
0: Well, you know it's funny and, and it's interesting. I knew I was going to be, be be chatting with you guys tonight, and, and I have a, a lot of respect for the Wisconsin and Minnesota anglers because you know, and even when I live there. Um, you know I only targeted bass pretty much my whole life other than when I grew up trout fishing in Wyoming but um, but it's interesting because so many anglers up there in Wisconsin like Vince Hightree and all those guys that fished the Kettle Moraine Bass Tour on Monday nights they're and you guys I mean you guys are so well versed in, in 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 muskies and and perch and bluegill and you guys run the gamut and that was something I never really did I didn't ice fish and um and when i did go fishing i mean i walleye fish maybe two or three times the whole time i was in wisconsin but um but down here it's 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 really honestly it's all about bass in florida um you know we've got they they call them speck down here but they're crappies and that kind of has a following and those people you know they eat them here and then uh you know they have shell crackers but predominantly the species down here is, is is largemouth bass you know there's no smallmouth um but whereas up by you guys, you know, I would say, you know, musky and walleye is kind of the, you know, prominent species that people target. But um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm in heaven, man, down here. I'm fishing on the uh, Kissimmee chain, which is Toho, Cypress, Hatchinahaw, uh, Kissimmee and Tiger Lake. Um, I'm about five miles from Camp Mack, which is right on the Kissimmee, you know, actually it's on the canal between Hatchinahaw and Kissimmee so i'm in the bass fishing capital of the world every day and you know and for me it's kind of interesting you know we get so many people from the north that come down here in the winter time to fish obviously because you guys can't fish up and you got an itch to get out and get you know on on soft water but um and i think like even the bass masters and the major tours feel like the prime time to be here fishing is january february but now that i've been here for a few years um, really, the really the prime time is right now. Um, you know, May just similar to you guys. I mean, you know, May June. Our our fish are so finicky. Unlike northern strain largemouth, where you know you can get a little rain or you know a cold front and still catch them, they might not even pull off the beds. Um, but down here, the cold fronts are really devastating for these uh, Florida strain largemouth. So it gets really um, stable in may june july august september and you can go out and catch them i mean you know i mean the biggest bass i've caught since i've been down here have all been in the summer the summer months they're very predictable a lot easier to catch they're when i say easier to catch they're they're easier to catch for having bass fishermen because you're you know really like flipping a lot flipping the grass and and punching stuff but but the the fish are where they're at and as long as you have the uh skill set to to punch and flip and get their heads turned and get them out of the mat or out of the grass you're gonna catch them now i can't like when i guide it's a lot easier to guide in february and march when the fish are roaming a little bit more but um but it's good year-round man it really is and I and mean, like i said i feel like the last month or so has just been unbelievable you know we had I had a tournament two weekends ago we had 21 and a half pounds on saturday and 21 pounds on sunday i got a big tournament this sunday and um now this past weekend i didn't fish there was a tournament out of toho and 24 won it i'm sorry 30 won it and 24 took a check was the last check so it's a good time to be down here fishing man i mean it's it's good i love it
1: yeah i mean when i go to florida i end up going a little bit further and hitting the salt water so We're down there end of March. Things are just starting to kind of get a little consistent with the whiting bite and some of the pompano, and then you'll find reds in inland water parts of it, you know, inshore. But I think, to your point, May and June, just as I'm looking at the reports for the saltwater side of things on the Gulf, May and June are are good months for, for fishing down there, regardless if you want a saltwater fish or freshwater fish and chase bass.
0: Right. It, it's, a, it's an angler's paradise down here. It really is. I mean, it's year-round, salt fresh freshwater. It really doesn't matter. You just have to understand, uh, you know, especially specific to bass, you kind of just have to under, understand the seasonal migration patterns and, and, and the forage. You know, we don't have a lot of crawdads down here. And I'm a jig guy. I love fishing a jig, and that's been my bread and butter for years, and it just doesn't really apply down here too much. But, I mean, you catch them on swim jigs. But as far as flipping a, a jig with a big, you know, chunk on the back it just isn't the deal you know so
1: sure they're they're more they're more minnow based in in their forage
0: yep 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 they're more you know pelagic fish and shiners is their main forage so you know but the big glide baits and you know you can catch them on a carolina rig on the shell bars and stuff but it's really a grass deal which really wisconsin anglers do well when they come down here you know gary atkins has been down here for opens a couple times and done well and guys that are familiar with fish and grass do well um, you know we got a lot of hydrilla and pads and same stuff you have in Wisconsin the difference here really the difference here with our lakes versus the lakes in Wisconsin is I remember fishing like even Rock Lake for example where you fish um, Greg um, you know you have areas of the lake that just don't have the bottom composition that those fish are never going to be there right in some of those bays it's a muck bottom they don't have the oxygenation of the grass the weeds whereas in Florida you know, the bottom is the same on the whole lake. You know, the vegetation is the same on the whole lake. So really you're reading the conditions for that particular day. There's no such thing really as a honey hole. Um, I mean when we talk about a honey hole here, it's the culvert that you know is at the end of a sod farm, and after it rains for three days, the water's blowing out of it and you get current. But um and you know, current is really the biggest deal down here. But when you don't have current, which is most of the time during the year. You just have to read the conditions, the wind, you know, the the, the sun, the clear water. If, it, if the wind's been blowing on one side of the lake for three or four days, you need to go to the other side of the lake. It's not like wind blown points that you would fish anywhere else in the country. That's not good here. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, it's an interesting. But basically, I tell people when you when you cross that Florida line coming here fishing, whatever bass fishing you know, throw that book out the window and start over. <laughs> but once you them once you understand them it's it's just really it is just a blast man I mean um I'm going out I'm going out tomorrow um and uh you know I'm going to run up to Toho it's I got to go through a lock to get there it's about 14 minutes from where I launched to the lock and then you know 15-20 minutes through the lock and then the spot that I'm going to go to is like five minutes up to Toho but it's just a, a open water hydrilla patch on a flat and that's you know going back to the roots in Wisconsin, throwing swim jigs and just your traditional you know Texas rig plastics. It doesn't really matter. There's just a ton of fish there, um, but it's not a tournament spot. You know, down here if you don't break that twenty pound mark, you're you're not getting a check. Period. On any on any given weekend here.
2: That's crazy. <clears throat> yeah, we you get a couple of those bag limits up here, but I mean, unless you're fishing Sturgeon Bay, you know, in the spring. Um, that that twenties, you know, could be a hard hard mark to get up here.
0: Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. You're right, you're right. I mean, you know, I, I mean, if you think about Wisconsin, you're right. Sturgeon Bay, you know, you can pull it off in the spring and the fall, pretty good, and 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 sometimes in the summer. But out you pull Sturgeon Bay out, maybe you know Green Lake. You know, there's some big bags that come out of Green Lake, but um, and Geneva gets some, you know, twenty pound bags. But for the most part, you're right. You know, fourteen. 14 to 17 bound bag depending on the conditions is generally a winning bag um, mostly mm-hmm.
2: so well i'm gonna i'm gonna jump back a little bit so you said you cut your teeth up in wisconsin here how did you actually or what made you decide you wanted to get into the pros or is it just I'm fishing real good and it worked out that way or is this your kind of goal you're set on
0: uh kind of a little of both um You know i joined the bass anglers ltd out of milwaukee in 1998 i think it was and uh you know back then um you know we had like jay wallenberg um i wish i could think of some of the names but roy bragg and bill parbs and mike mcquitty those guys were staples in the club they always did well and those are the kind of my tutors you know the guys that kind of really taught me how to bass fish but you know we had the jay wallenbergs and some of the really good anglers that came out of Wisconsin outside of the guys that came from the river and the guys up North, but, uh, it was a good club, you know, and, and, you know, you know, just like anybody else, you know, you start off and you're trying to get a limit. And then, you know, a couple years later you are starting to get limits. And then, you know, by the end of it, you're really talking about, you know, targeting bigger fish instead of just worrying about a limit. Um, and, and I had some success back in like, you know, 2000, 10 11 12 I was doing really good in the club Mr. Bass and all that kind of stuff and then I won a. I won that that spring tournament up there on Puckaway Um, or actually it was on uh, uh, Buffalo no Puckaway it was that Puckaway tournament I won that in 2012 that spring one and then uh, I had somebody that said hey you know you know if you want to fish the opens we'll, we'll we'll sponsor you you know we'll pay your pay your entry fees and everything else and that really if if that hadn't if that hadn't happened, I wouldn't have done it. Um, But once, you know, like my first Bassmaster tournament, I was on the James River in Virginia, and I was, like, practicing for a couple days, and I was pulling my boat off the water, and I look out, and all of a sudden Mike Iconelli's pulling in, and I was about shit in my pants. I'm like, holy cow, man, that's damn Mike Iconelli, you know, and Aaron Martins pulls in, and it's like, Once and you know, and I feel like sometimes you know, you're only as good as your competition. I mean, you might be consistent, but you know, when you start fishing at the professional level against those guys, it just really gets in your blood. And and you want to, you know, I mean, you feel like if you can't compete, you don't want to play, you know what I mean? And so, you know, that it really got in my blood pretty quick. And then in 2014, my second year in the open. I was out on Lake Champlain and, and Aaron Martin's and Shen Fukai. I was leading the tournament the first day. I think they had like 215 pros in that tournament, and it would have been my fifth fifth Bassmaster tournament. And I was leading it after the first day, and canelli uh, was in second. Aaron Martin's was in fourth, and it was just like a list of all these guys, and it was just kind of really cool. And then the day day two, I was leading it at the end of day two. And uh, finished, you know, then they had the top 12 going out the final day. And, you know, and, dude, it was just kind of a cool experience. And um, and at, at that point, it was just like there's no really turning back. You just want to keep doing it, you know, and you go broke trying. <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of where I'm at. So when I jumped over the MPFL, you know, the first year of the MPFL, um, it was kind of a – I think I went in a little overconfident. I didn't do very good, uh, you know, each tournament, and then at the end of the season. But you know, it was one of those deals where I wasn't on the water every day. Um, I, I kind of approached it just like you would fish in a club circuit. You know, you, you practice for a couple of days before the event, and then you compete and whatever. And I got, you know, I, I got, I got my ass kicked. To be honest with you, I mean, it was horrible. And so going into year 2 which would have been last year I remember thinking in the off season I'm like I'm living in Florida I can fish every day and I did I went out every single day I took one or two Sundays off a month but other than that I was on the water every day and uh, you know and then and then and then last year I ended up with a you know I don't know I, I mean I had a top 20 in watch bar Tennessee and then I won the Lake Erie event and then I finished in 13th on the Kissimmee chain or, you know, out of Toho. And, and you know, and it was just hard work paid off. But at that point, at the end of the season last year is when I was putting that tiki boat out on the water. And and I just really honestly, it felt like it was just, I was so tired of driving, man. We went to Bay City, Michigan last year and it was $2,000 in diesel fuel from my house to there and back. And I thought, man, it was just like every tournament is far. and. I got tired of traveling, so I, you know, Black Rifle Coffee is one of my main sponsors, and I contacted them right off the bat and said, "Listen, I'm thinking about taking the year off. Are we good if I take the year off?" And they said, "Yep, so absolutely. If you want to take the year off, we're with you when you come back." I contacted the league and and kind of expressed, you know, my my, you know, desires at that point in time, and they said, "Yeah, if you want to take the year off, we are welcome back next year. We'll hold a spot for you." and so that's kind of where I'm at now. I'm just—it's kind of an opportunity to recharge my brain after doing this for the years that I've done it, and um, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm taking it all in, man. I'm enjoy- I'm still in the water every day fishing, but and I miss the guys. You know, I miss the tour. I miss the competition. But I'm fishing a couple of local circuits that are pretty good down here, and you know, hold my own with them. And and it's a tough market down here. You know, if you're not from Florida and try to compete with these guys that have grew up on these lakes, it's. It's tough, but I've held my own, and, you know, I've gained their respect and, you know, I've won some money, and we'll see what happens.
1: As a bass guy, I mean, as a tournament angler, you've had to see a lot of different trends and lures and and riggings and and different presentations. Out of all the things that have have come out, I know, probably in the last, we'll say, 15 years, what is, like, one of your go-to's, your your best or your favorite presentation
0: well that's a great question greg um
1: it's kind of (laughs) loaded i
0: I would well i would say this this especially especially for wisconsin and 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 understanding like these fish down here and apply because if you think of like look at john cox from florida okay i mean and keith carson you know, you look at these Florida guys that have gone north and done really, really well. Uh, I'm going to tell you why I think that happened, and and I know for sure that it applies in Wisconsin. It's just that I don't think people have the patience to apply it. Um, those guys have killed it with weightless soft plastics. So if you have the patience to put a cinco or a stick bait in your hand, weightless, not tech, not wacky rig, just a weightless sinker, and chuck that thing around all day, you're going to get your fish right now. They have the knowledge of understanding, um, maybe perhaps where, you know, the pre-spawn, post-spawn, uh, spawning fish, bed fishing and all that. But at the end of the day, those guys are methodical, slow fishermen. So that is hard to beat. Um, I feel like if, if you mask now this doesn't apply down here but if you master a drop shot you know with just your robo worm you know bluegill pattern and weight appropriate depending on the depth i mean that's how i won the lake erie tournament was on a drop shot that's all i fished all day i had two rods on the deck they were bow drop shots but that was small mouth that applies in sturgeon bay you know i mean that's it's in the springtime it's like cheating you know better, (laughs) better than anything but but, yeah, I think a weightless weightless baits, um, super flukes, uh, sinkos or stick baits, um, even worms, man. I mean, if you think about it, you know, and I used to do seminars up at Bass Pro Shops in Gurney, Gurney, Illinois there, and I always talk about this, and this applies more toward tournament fishermen, but when you're on the clock and you can only make so many casts a day um, – 70 80 percent of your bites come on the initial fall we all know that right how many times have you cast it out i don't care what the bait is and before you make one or two cranks they're on there right so if you're going to throw a texas rig worm out for example with a you know whatever whatever tail you're going to throw on it you make that cast and as soon as that bait hits the water make sure that you feed line off and let that thing fall straight down because That is your biggest strike zone in open water is that initial cast. When that thing splashes in the water and those fish see it falling straight down naturally, um, they're going to bite it. And so going back to it, more times than not, the lighter the weight, the better. Now, it might be hard to cast a, you know, a seven-inch power worm with an eighth-ounce weight to get distance with it with a baitcaster. But, you know, with practice, you can do it. And as long as you follow that rule of thumb of that initial fall get that bite now for tournament guys after you make your first hop or two i say reel it in and do it again now if you're just out fun fishing you can go ahead and you know work the worm back do whatever you want to do and you're going to get some bites along along the way but 70 80 percent of your bites are going to come on that on that initial fall so that's what you should focus on in my opinion
1: I can honestly say I can attest to that because the three bass that I caught were literally uh, yesterday thrown from the dock. It was on, like, I just closed the bale, the bait maybe down, made it down a foot, and I felt, I felt the bite, the rod loaded up right away, and I just pulled and set hook. If I worked the worm back, I might have got chased by a rock bass or something, but for the most part, all three of those bass were on the initial fall of the bait. So you're definitely yep. onto something there. You definitely hit on it.
0: Yeah. So that, that's, that's, uh, and you know, just like going back to the basic bass fishing one oh one, I mean, they always talk about, um, patterns, right. And they're like, okay, so how did you catch that fish? Right. And then you try to replicate that wherever you're out on the lake. But I think where people miss the boat a little bit is you're thinking, okay, well, I caught it on a windblown point, or I caught it on a point that had this cypress tree or this grass or whatever, this mixture of grass. But really, really, the way you caught it was when the bait hit the water, the fish bit it. You know what I mean? That's more, more important to, to, to understand the bite that you had before you focus on the area that you were in. Now, they're both important, but the most important thing is how the fish are biting that day.
2: So is, how do you approach pre-fishing for a tournament then when you got a, you're trying to cover water and make a pattern or figure out a pattern? What, are you doing that same technique? Or are you broad strokes, running a different lure, trying to find fish in a certain area, and then pinpointing them come tournament time? Or?
0: So, like, the MPFL and a lot of the pro circuits, you, you have a limited amount of time of practice, right? It's a three-day practice period, so you really don't have – now, a club, a club deal is a little bit different when you might be able to get up there four or five days in advance, but when you only have a three-day period to, to break a lake down that maybe you've never been on – You know we all rely on the you know tournament history on the internet that you can find and everything else so basically finding out the 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 migration of the fish and the bait and all that but but more often than not you know you spend so much more time actually just looking at the lake and graphing and trying to find you know trying to understand okay it's springtime maybe they're post-spawn you're going to try to find those drops outside of a spawning cove things like that but um but there is there is something to be said about Um, uh, about fishing a a particular lure because there's nothing more important than confidence, right? When you start, if you know that they're biting a, you know, June bug worm, for example, over, you know, a spinnerbait or whatever, you know, confidence is everything. I mean, absolutely everything, especially in tournaments. And if you think about it, man, eight hours is, you know, the tournament goes by quick, right? When you're on the water, it goes by quick, but if you have the right bait in your hand, you got a lot of time, man, for five bites, you know, I mean, you really do, and so many guys, I think, spin out and start running too much instead of just putting their head down and getting the five bites that they need, so, you know, so yeah, it, it's a double-edged sword, you don't want to spend a whole lot of time in practice fishing because you're not covering water and seeing what else is out there, but at the same time, <laughs> you know you want to you want to dip something in the water to just see what you can get bit on and gain confidence in and that's where it goes back to what your confidence is right if you want if you're confident throwing a swim jig and you want to force it you know give it some time whatever that and, and if it works now you're at a big advantage right because you're fishing your confidence bait versus you know a carolina rig or something maybe you don't fish a whole lot but but i think that just comes with time i mean most of these guys now and I would say this, even even club guys nowadays, I mean, I think you'd be hard pressed to find guys that aren't very confident in, in, in all aspects of the spectrum, right? They're good with top water, they're good with crankbaits, um, Carolina rigs, whatever. You know, back in the day for us, it was a little different because you got focused on one bait. We didn't have the internet like you have now, and, you know, you didn't experiment with new tactics. But now I think guys are pretty well versed in all kinds of different tactics.
2: No, that's a good that's a good point. Um yeah, we were talking about an episode a couple couple of weeks ago just about confidence baits and you know, Greg fished your style with uh, weightless worm or swim bait. I can't remember what you had on there. I did and both. I,
1: I did weightless both and I caught fish on both. And then you were power fishing with a with a jerk bait and you were catching fish too.
2: So Yep. 'Cause that, that's my go to. I, I like to cover water instead of break it down, but I've caught them both ways. Like you just said, my my confidence bait is my jerk bait. I like to cover water, I can catch fish, all depths of the water. I have a little a little impatient when it comes to finesse fishing, but it is a tactic that I need to get better on. So
0: let me ask you a question. What jerk bait are you fishing? What you when you talking about like a fluke or are you talking about like a hard jerk bait?
2: Hard jerk bait. Hard. Uh basically a strike master you know, four and a half inch, That that's my go-to, anything in that size range.
1: Okay, interesting. Yeah, I fished uh, a Lucky Craft Vision 110, which is a pricey bait, but it sure does dart and dance and do its thing pretty nicely. I fished a couple of different Rapala versions. Um, I do have some Strike King ones as well. But yeah. perch and bluegill, perch and bluegill are hot up here for just about everything from pike to... Small mouth, they'll all hit it. Yep, yeah. that's
0: awesome. I'll let you guys in on a little secret real quick. All right. Not necessarily so much with a jerk bait, but especially with like a crankbait or a. Uh, now, I do this down here a lot with a spook. And this all started from when we were talking about breaking down a lake during practice where you don't want to stick them. And so I used to throw um, rattle traps, crankbaits. Zara spooks, those are baits I really like throwing, and so in practice I would always take the hooks off. Hmm. Uh, you know, right? Because you don't want to stick. Yep. And then, you know, the tournament would roll around and you start chucking that pop water, whatever, and they didn't bite. So I started doing this on the uh, uh, it was the uh, Muskogee, Oklahoma. I'm trying to think of the river, the Oklahoma River. Or... Anyways, what I started doing was throwing that square bill in practice through these brush piles on the shoreline. And, uh, anyways, so in the tournament, I wasn't getting bit. So I threw that practice square bill out there with no hooks in the tournament. And I'd run it through the nastiest, thickest stuff you could. And all of a sudden, you'd get bit and shake them off and then throw a Cinco in there and catch them. And I do that down here all the time. I do it with a Zara spook over the grass when it's floating. Mm-hmm. So that Zara spook, it just twitches perfectly across the grass. They blow up bounce it out of the water, and I flip in there and catch them. So just a little tidbit.
1: <laughs> a little warmer upper. You, know? <laughs> you, get, you get them hot, and then you, then you feed them the good stuff.
0: That's right. Get them fired up. And, you know, I mean, it works in practice all the time, right? And then it's like, why isn't this working in the tournament? Well... Try it with with no hooks on there, and you can cover a ton of water. You're never going to get hung up, and then when you get bit, throw something else in there, a a Texas rig worm or whatever.
1: That's a pretty interesting tactic. I mean, nobody thinks of doing that, but obviously you got time because that's that's your job, right? You're going out there and trying to get those bites, and and you're figuring out a wrinkle to, well, I can cover a lot of water, not worry about getting hung up or snagged in something with with hooks. I can bury a square bill in the nastiest stuff and it'll it'll bounce through that because that square bill that's what it does. But if you yep. have hooks on it, you're, there's, it doesn't stand a chance in hell of getting out of there without catching some kind of wood or brush or something.
0: That's right. Rattle traps another good one, man. That'll really get yep. you know. You can rattle trap through. You can cover a million miles of water with a rattle trap with no hooks.
1: <laughs> As a kid, that was like one of my favorite baits to fish the chrome blue or the fire tiger one. We had some ponds up near Toma. Um, they were. Cranberry bog feeder ponds, they were fed uh, by the Lemon Wire River, I believe, and uh, loaded with largemouth, big largemouth. I mean, it was nothing to go up there to catch a couple of 18 to 20-inchers in a day. No problem. Yep. Just me, myself, and my brother would come along behind me, but we would walk. It was, all, it was all shore fishing, but that's what we were doing. We were casting and covering water and keep walking and casting and covering water. We would cover miles around these big ponds and a good bait to just comb stuff with but i don't know how many bill lewis rattle traps are probably stuck in some of those log jams (laughs) out there
0: (laughs) it's funny to say that because that was my first favorite rattle trap was a fire tiger but it was the uh yozuri uh rattling vibe but yeah that tiger man i couldn't put that i couldn't put that down that was always on my deck yep fire (laughs) fire tiger rattling bait Yep. yep
1: that was always good in stained water for me i and the chrome blue is always good in like that tannic, stained-colored water. Uh, clear, yep. clear water. I don't know. I brown and yellow seem to be a good color for me.
0: All right, it's confidence, man. Whatever you want to throw, yeah. right?
1: Yep. <laughs> there's there's people throwing something that's bone white in in any any conditions, and and they're catching fish on it. And yep. I, I put it on and I can't catch anything. So.
0: <laughs> yep. Guys take their pocket knife and scrape all the paint off that rattle rattle trap, and it was half clear and looked like junk, but yeah they bit it.
2: Yep, caught caught fish. I think everybody had one of those blue and chrome rattle traps back in the day. Yep, I was yeah. like the go to lure from Walmart. Is this? Yes. Oh, this looks cool.
0: <laughs> Walmart special. Yep. 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 Got it. Maybe Kmart when they had Kmart's. Yeah.
2: Exactly. Put that on layaway.
0: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Give me ten on layaway. Spring ice melts. Yes.
2: <laughs> oh man, so what's uh? What was your favorite body water to fish when you were fishing the circuit? Wait, did you have one? I mean...
0: Yeah, Champlain, man, I had a lot of fun up on Champlain. That was a that was a good lake for me. Um, but, you know, winning that Lake Erie event last year, um, you know, and it was funny because my registration and my, you know, my, my pro card, everything said uh, Scott Siller from Lake Wales, Florida. And the, the announcers the first day were saying, look at this guy from Florida beating all these northern you know, smallmouth fishermen, and it's like, yeah, you know, before I went up there, I looked at my my uh, GPS, and, you know, I was kind of doing a little pre-practice on my GPS unit, just to kind of, I used to like fishing Niagara Reef, and anyways, I pulled up, I pulled up my GPS map, and when I zoomed out to, to scroll up to Wisconsin, you know, how it clusters up in each area and everything, and I think I had, like, 489 waypoints in Wisconsin, and I had, Three hundred eighty-nine waypoints on Lake Erie, so it was like, you know, when they were like, "Oh, this northern guy or this southern guy's killing it up here on this northern lake against all these northern smallmouth guys." I'm thinking, nah, I've got a lot of history up here," you know what I mean? But, uh, but that was that was Lake Erie. Anywhere smallmouth, I know Gary Atkins dominates the smallmouth field pretty much anywhere he goes, and uh, it was kind of funny in that tournament because I, I, you know. I think so he won the tournament before up in bay city michigan um on uh on uh the uh saginaw bay and he was the only guy really fishing for smallmouth um the wind was so bad up there and guys couldn't practice out there you know not knowing the lake and everything but gary being the smallmouth guy you know he wins the sturgeon bay open and i mean that guy's just phenomenal with smallmouth so when erie rolled around he had just won the the, the Saginaw Bay event and, uh, and Erie rolled around and, you know, I knew he was going to win Erie. There was no doubt in my mind. So day one, he had like 16, 17, 18 pounds. I forget what it was, but it wasn't, it wasn't a Gary Atkins bag. And, uh, and, and, and I had a big bag day one. I had 26, 26 pounds, like four ounces. I had a six, four and four five pounders in my live one on day one. So I had a pretty substantial lead, and I thought the only person I was worried about was Gary Atkins. So when I saw his weight, I'm like, oh, man, I got a chance of winning this thing. And day two, um, I had 22 pounds, I think, and Gary had like 25 pounds. And I'm like, and he moved up to second place. And I was like, damn it. I text him, and I said, of all the people crawling up my ass, why has it got to be you? (laughs) and uh so that's how that went down and i ended up i ended up edging them out by just right around a pound but uh but so that was by far you know first of all i love fishing smallmouth and 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 i love lake erie and i love the way those fish bit and what i was doing i was fishing really deep out the middle of the lake targeting boulders and uh with 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 uh my 360 and and live scope and everything and it was just it was my style. I like offshore fishing, and it was just, it was it fit in perfect, and, and the fish bit, you know what I mean? They were there. So, um, yeah, I would say between Champlain, Lake Erie, and obviously Sturgeon Bay, man, that's where I cut my teeth. I love Sturgeon Bay all throughout the year, spring, fall, summer. Um, um, as far as Wisconsin lakes, though, I mean, you know, uh, that Fox Lake, I, I really enjoyed that. I think Rock Lake's a fun lake, man. That's a cool lake. You know, there's a lot of diversity there.
1: There is. I mean, we don't have, like, in the 90s, I talked to some of the old-timers, we had good smallmouth in this lake, and it's not what it used to be. I did see a couple of real nice ones swimming yesterday. They just all of a sudden decided to show up in the shallows and swim through, and I was quite surprised. um, threw Threw a Senko at them, and they just kept on going. So I don't know if they were guarding a bed just got done spawning or what the scoop is exactly. But I think we're mid to high sixties water temperature. So I they're they're definitely, I think they're done. They're done spawning bluegills are up. So, but yeah, talk about diversity of different types of habitat between the mucky bottoms, the sandy, the rock bottoms and all the different weed flats that are around and the mid lake humps, you know, uh, it's pretty so cool.
0: It, it was probably like 2017, 2018. Um, 2016 maybe um, when I was doing the pro thing, uh, I came back to fish with Bass Anglers Ltd. in the first tournament of the year. I think it was the first one of the year. I could only fish one a year because my schedule and everything. Um, but they were on Fox Lake, and I said, "Well, shit, I'll come fix it." I'd never fished it before, so I went out there and practiced one day. And I went out to those 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 humps out there. I was going to fish offshore, and uh, I was graphing. I was graphing those humps and those those reefs and everything they had down there in the south end of the south end of the lake, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, I run out of gas, and so mm-hmm. I had to, and I got I got a little irritated, you know. Instead of just putting the trolling motor down and practicing a little bit more, I was irritated, and I, I hadn't caught anything all day. Um, I I trolled back and uh, put my boat on the trailer and and went home, and then the next morning was the tournament and uh i remember going out there and i called it i ended up i had to get gas i hadn't gassed up yet so i called the tournament director and said hey i'm gonna be a couple minutes late i gotta gas the boat up and everything and he said well we're not gonna wait for you and i said no i don't expect you to wait for me but if somebody wants to check my log wells or whatever you know i'm just gonna be like five minutes late and so um because what's the town right there just south of 94
1: that's that's lake mills
0: Lake Mills, yeah. So that's where I was getting gas when I called him. I was right there. And uh, anyways, uh, so I get there and back my boat in and they check the live wells and they're gone. Now they all take off. I, I slide the boat off the trailer. It wouldn't start. And I'm like, what the heck? You know, I thought I had just run out of gas. Well, it ended up being the fuel diaphragm. So anyways, long story short, I was like, well, put the trolling motor down and I just got to go fishing. And it And there at the south end of the lake, there's a bridge. There was like a railroad bridge or something. Like a little wooden bridge, right? So, And I had never seen it before, so I thought, well, I'm going to go over there and throw a drop shot on that bridge all day. Well, I got over there, and that bridge is like a foot of water. And I'm like, well, this sucks. This ain't going to be what I thought of. It it ain't what it looked like from a mile away. But I go under the bridge, and there's a bunch of pads, and the wind was blowing in real good. Anyways, these pads, like... There was these, just these little clusters of grass on the pads, and I I, I pulled out a one-ounce, you know, chigger craw, And the very first pad clump I flipped to, I caught a three-and-a-half-pounder. And I was like, okay. And then I flipped for a while longer. didn't get anything, and I seen another pad that had a bunch of grass blowing in on it. I flipped that one, catch another three-and-a-half-pounder, and I'm like, okay, there's something to this grass on these pads. So all I did is I trolled around. There was like six of them they had good grass around the pads and all I did was circled around all day long back there. Cause I only had a trolling motor. I ended up having like 18 and a half pounds, won the tournament, you know, with no big motor. It was just great. <laughs> <laughs> just was lucky.
1: Yeah. I've had a lot of fun on this lake to say the least. Uh, you never know what you're going to catch. You never know what kind of day you're going to have some days just like fishing anywhere else. You can fall on your face and be humbled. And then, turn around and have no expectations, go out there and just start whacking. It's yeah. kind of, it's kind of fun.
0: Oh, well, and you got a bunch of other good lakes right around there too, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, both do. I mean, you guys are, I mean the lake, the, the the diversity of lakes you have in Wisconsin is just awesome. You know, if you just get that damn DNR off your ass, you guys are have a lot more fun, you know, <laughs> you can bleep that part out. All right. <laughs> <laughs> wow.
1: So, uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, as a pro, I mean, to be able to, to afford to go fishing all the time and, and have the lures and all that stuff, you're working with sponsors. What's that like for you? I mean, what what is your experience with, with sponsors, and how do you go about talking to some of these guys?
0: Greg, that's a great question, man, and I feel like that's kind of where you know, if you really want to make that leap, you have to, um, and I'm not, and trust me, I'm not the guy I suck at it. And, and, and it has not been good for me, but you have to take the time to be creative on social media. And, uh, that's what they're looking at now, you know, and they're looking for the right, um, uh, the right product for them. You know what I mean? The right return on investment, but, Social media is everything, and I hate social media. And I've never been good at it. I hired somebody to run my social media for a couple years, and you know, I wanted to respond to everybody that made a comment, and and that worked out for like two months. And I was like, forget it, I'll take it over again. They're like, well, how do I respond to them? I'm like, I don't know, say something, sound like me. (laughs) And I read one of the responses like a couple days later, and I'm like, okay, yeah, you're fired. But, um, but you gotta be, you gotta be creative, right? You don't want to just post, uh, a picture of, you know, some, you know, jungle juice and say, Hey, drink this before every tournament you'll win. You know what I mean? That's, that's old and burnt and you gotta be creative and, uh, and you gotta be active on social media. That's the bottom line. You know, you gotta be active with the, you know, especially if you're in the industry, if you're trying to get, um, sponsored in the industry, it makes it even harder It's just period. It's just harder because most of these industry sponsors are willing to give you product and they're willing to give 10,000 other guys product. And so you have 10,000 guys with one, you know, rod company or, you know, lure company, and they're all actively promoting that company. And so, you know, you, and you have to, and you have to value your own, your own worth, right? I mean, if you're getting 25% off on a product, how much time are you willing to give that company? Now, if you're starting out, if you're starting out new, then it's important that you give them a lot of time, right? Because that's your first kick at the cat. But after a while, you know, you start targeting money, and you know, and that's obviously a lot harder to get, especially within the industry. But once you start getting checks from a company for fifteen or twenty thousand um, dollars, you know, you, you have to, you have to produce, right? You have to do something for them. Period, and I mean, you think about it. Most guys are getting anywhere from fifty to one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year from sponsors. Now, last year, you know, I won seventy four thousand dollars in tournament winnings last year in six tournaments. Um, you you, you, know, you deduct thirty percent for taxes, and which they don't take it out of the check; they send you the check, and what do you do? You spend it. So the next file taxes, you got to worry if you are going to get audited or not, and uh, and. Uh, that's just the way the game is played there. But, um, but yeah, your sponsors are everything. If you're going to do it, I mean, anybody can go out and fish the Pro Tour for a year or two. There's no doubt in my mind you could do it and pull it off. But when you start worrying about money and you start worrying about gas and how you're going to cut this corner and that corner, your mind isn't where it needs to be. So um, I really can't give great advice on getting sponsors other than, you know, you know and, and two, you know, I mean, I'm a lot older than you guys, but... I came from an era where social media wasn't a thing. So when I was young and dumb, I didn't have an opportunity to put my foot in my mouth on social media. There's certain people now that are trying to get sponsorships, but they posted something really stupid like four years ago. And these people watch that, man. I mean, when you got these, because the people that are running their social media, first of all, are mostly women. That's something that everybody needs to keep in mind. You know, the head of Mercury Pro Staff, is a, is a female okay the head of this company that company i mean you go down the list bass pro shops i was on their pro staff since 14 tj lehrer ran their pro staff she you know you know so so stay clean stay classy and be professional on everything that you do and have a pattern right like pattern yourself think about how you want to present yourself as a person right you want to you want to say that you're like a turkey hunter do you want to say that you're a bass fisherman a walleye pro whatever you know Um, are you taking vacations? I mean, you have to think about all that stuff because they are, you know, those people, when they have 10,000 people to choose from, and they look at your social media account and they see your passion for the sport, your passion for the outdoors, your passion for the community, right? What do you do for the community? What do you do for your neighbors? You know, that, that all that stuff is very important. So I guess the best advice I could give is think about that before you start because social media again is everything. So be careful what you post and try to portray yourself in the best light that you can.
1: That's solid advice, man. So I think uh, we've covered quite a bit. Let's kind of bring the plane in for a landing. You've been a lot of places, done a lot of things. You had to be okay at something or done something okay in your career, maybe at the boat launch or running out of gas or who knows what, but do you have an OKest Fisher moment that you could share with us?
0: I'm sorry, uh, Greg. OK, what?
1: An OKest Fisher moment that you could share with us?
0: Oh, I got you. I understand the question. Um, yeah, let me think here. Um, mm. <laughs> You'll have a million of them. You know what I mean? I mean, I guess I. I man, yes, it happens all the time. Um, I'll just say this: last tournament I was in, just last uh, two weekends ago, down here. Uh, you know, it was late in the day, and we had about 16, 18 pounds, and we knew we had to get over that 20 pound mark. And we were struggling and struggling and struggling, catching three pounders. And uh, I set, I, I flipped into a pot of grass, and uh, set the hook, and the fish. I got her head up, and it was seven pounder, which isn't a giant for here, but it's a big fish for tournaments, right? It's something you want in your live well anyways i had a big flipping stick and i got her up on the grass and my partner was coming up with the net and i made the decision to flip her in the boat and uh i did came in no problem as soon as it hit the deck of the boat the hook fell out and she continued to go across the deck flopping and flopping and flopping and i had i all i could do was admire the size of this fish i thought it was nine pounds when she got in the boat but all I could do was stand there and admire it and I would have been totally good with her going off the other end of the boat just because I I had it in the boat it counts right and my partner is the head high school he's a he's a football coach down here he's a head high school football coach and he must have thought it was a fumble drill because he was on that bass right before she got to the gunnel and I I thought he killed it because I mean it was like a fumble and he jumped on her and and then I started laughing, and I'm like, do you have the fish under your belly there, or what's going on here, you know? And anyways, that was my okay, okay fishing moment. There you go. Nice. The got fumble it. drill, call it. The fumble,
1: the fumble drill. drill.
0: Yeah. Scoop and score. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Only it's got a little little more slime to it. <laughs> that, that was,
0: man. I was the spectator. <laughs>
1: Nothing wrong with that. Well, I think we covered uh, some pro bass angling. We got some really good tips out of this. And uh, I don't know. What else you got to add, Matt?
2: Uh, Yeah, you're not big on social media, but if people want to find you, follow you, um, you know, hook up with your tiki boat thing or get out and fishing with you down in Florida, how can they find you?
0: Yeah, Scott Siller on, social, on uh, Facebook and Instagram, and the, and, the, and the Tiki boat is Cooter Tiki Tours on Facebook, and it's t- Cooter Tiki Cruise. Cooter is CO. That's my dog. I get a lot of black for that, but it's actually my 14-year-old Pitbull. Well, he was a Pitbull. I live in a community that banned Pitbull, so now he identifies as a cat, but his name is Cooter. Um, but, Matt, it's good catching up with you again, man. It's been a long time. It's been 15, 20 years, man, since I met you.
2: Oh, yeah, it's been a few.
0: Yeah. And Greg, man, I appreciate you guys up there in Wisconsin. Keep those guys out there on the lakes. And I I mean, you guys ever want to come down here in the wintertime and tell all your guests, yeah, hook me up. If they want to come down here and do some fishing and, you know, November, December, January, February, Scott Siller on Instagram and Facebook and I'll, I'll hook. If I can't take them, I'll have somebody else take them.
1: All right. Sounds great.